Welcome back to another You Sounded podcast. Thanks for the great feedback we've been getting the last couple of weeks. We had the Dion twins on last week and uh, very well received on uh, the different things that they talked about, about their own self-motivation. So this week, this week I got a real special one. We've got uh, our good friend Tyler Nelson, who's actually hit a few shots in this You Sounded gym over the years. Uh, Tyler is uh, clearly one of the greatest to ever lace him up in the Merrimack Valley. Um, and he's going to come in to talk about, well, we're going to talk about Ty's career and, you know, his life growing up in hoops and family and et cetera, et cetera. But we're also going to talk about Ty's self-motivation, uh, proving people wrong, uh, basically the resiliency of keep grinding and things like that. So that'll be focusing it. So first of all, I want to thank Ty for coming on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here, talk some basketball and life and uh, looking forward to it. Awesome. So, Ty, you know, anybody who knows basketball uh, knows you or knows of you. Um, many of my followers are not necessarily uh, diehard hoop fans. So why don't we give the little uh, Ty Nelson bio, start off from a young guy up until now. Who is Tyler Nelson? Yeah, so uh, I uh, grew up in Bradford, Massachusetts, just right around the corner from uh, North End over here. Um, grew up playing basketball, golf, uh, baseball, a bunch of different sports. Um, actually, I met I met Rick when I started playing AU basketball. I think it might have been was it fifth grade with yeah. the New England Storm back in the back in the old days when you were just getting it started. Um, so yeah, met Rick through that, and my dad, um, you know, went to Central Catholic High School, um, had a great basketball career there, played in the fall league. Uh, have known Rick all the way since, like I said, since probably fifth grade. Um, then went to Fairfield University from there on a basketball scholarship in Connecticut. Um, now I play professionally in the NBA G League. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I, I When I was thinking about preparation for this, I, I was trying to remember the first time I ever met you, and you might not even remember this, but uh, you're three years younger than Michael. Obviously, you and Michael are tight. Uh, mm-hmm. But we were playing in the old... The OGLC yes. gym up in Lawrence, right? And if anybody's oh. ever been there, it's like this small gym, which is known more for their uh, their kitchen and their food <laughs> than they are a gym. But um, it, I think it was Michael's, Michael and George Niang was on the team and Jimmy Z, and we yep. were, you know, a powerhouse fifth grade team, right? And in walks this team coached by Jeff Nelson, who I had gotten to know. And I see this little kid, and you had to have been like in the third grade yeah. playing in this fifth grade division. And I immediately saw, wow, I don't know if I've ever seen a third grader have, you know, the IQ and the ability and, and your father was tough on you. And, you know, you were playing with mostly younger kids, so we didn't have too much trouble with you that day. But um, that was uh, not going to be the case as we went forward here. So that was kind of my first memory. You got to play for the famous Jeff Nelson. Uh, obviously, you're a coach's kid, yep. uh, which in itself uh, is tough at times. Uh, what was it like uh, playing for your father throughout your whole youth team, youth years? And that was basically with Havel Travel. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a unique experience. Obviously, you know, having a father who coached you all throughout your youth and, you know, knows, knows the game of basketball inside and out. And, you know, obviously, as a father, you want the best for your son. And he was hard on me at times when I was younger, but I think it, you know, it kind of molded me into the work, work ethic that I have now. And, you know, I really developed a love for the game, not just through him, you know, coaching me and getting me into the game of basketball, but, you know, just falling in love with basketball myself at a young age. And that's really all I wanted to do was, you know, go play hoops. And I think, you know, having a father that knew the game and could teach the game to me, 
um, I think it definitely helped me, you know, my development ever since I, you know, started playing in fourth and fifth grade competitively and then always playing up, like you said, with against older competition in the area. Um, I think that was, you know, a unique experience and something that, you know, my dad as a coach, you know, pushed me towards to play against better talent. And I think it paid off for me. Yeah. And if people don't know, J Jeff is a, a great basketball mind, a great player in his own right when he was a kid. Um, and obviously as a high school coach at a variety of stops and, and presently now as an NBA scout uh, for the Sixers. I met him when he was uh, an NBA scout for uh, yep. Jerry Sloan and the Utah Jazz. Uh, but obviously Jeff knows basketball, and I believe he's one of the best shooting instructors. And we're going to talk about your skill as a shooter a little mm -hmm. bit later. But uh, So tell me a little bit about when you were a elementary school, into your middle school career, um, you know, you played with your father. Obviously, it can be tough at times, and it can be great at times. Talk a little bit about because you guys have a great relationship. That's one of the things I've always kind of mm -hmm. saw with you, and I, I pride that in having that with my own Michael. But uh, what were the what were the rides home after games? What were the one on one instruction stuff? Um, and how did it build your relationship with your dad during that period of time? Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, my dad, ever since I was, like I said, in fourth grade and started playing competitive sports, he's, he had always been my coach no matter what sport it was, whether it was basketball, baseball, you know, anything. Um, so as a coach's son and, you know, your dad being your coach, he's always, you know, probably going to be a little bit harder than you than he is to the other kids, especially, you know, in my case when I was always one of the better players on my team. Um, so he, there was definitely moments where it was tough as a young kid. You know, you just kind of want to have fun out there but you know at the same time you you want to get better and as your dad is a coach he expects a lot from you and being one of the better players so it had its up and downs but I think the way my dad pushed me was more of a you know if you want to be good at this this is how you're going to have to go about your business and this is what you're going to have to do you can't just you know go out there and go through the motion so yeah a lot of a lot of car rides home maybe some f few tears here and there but at the end of the day like you said good relationship and you know I'm glad my my dad got to coach me because I do really think it definitely helped me. Yeah, without a doubt. A special relationship between you and your father, for sure. All right, so take us up to that eighth grade. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you live in Bradford, and uh, for people who don't know, Bradford's a section of Haverhill, so uh, the normal progression, first some people in Haverhill would go directly to Haverhill High. I think Haverhill High, which had been experiencing, you know, not the greatest years, I think they were hoping for you to come in. You made a decision to go to league rival Central Catholic, mm -hmm. a private Catholic school in Lawrence. Uh, tell me about that decision and what was the final decision to go play for Central Catholic and Ricky Nault? Yeah, for sure. So when I was in eighth grade, obviously, you know, I was probably one of the best players in the area. And, you know, Haverhill High basketball wasn't the greatest team in the league, but, you know, they were respectable. They had some great players. And at the time, Noah Vonley was yeah, there. Yeah, Noah was playing for them. Um, so, you know, they had some recognition. Um, but at the time, Central Catholic was the best basketball team in the state, and they're still in the top, you know, 10 every year pretty much. Um, but at that point, you know, it was Jimmy Zenovich, Carson DeRogers the year before I even got there. Um, but like I said, they were a powerhouse, and I had a relationship with the Zenoviches through AAU, I think, you know, sure. playing New England Storm and stuff. So I think it, was, it wasn't forced upon me by my parents. They kind of let me decide. But, you know, just being the competitive basketball player that I was, I knew that, you know, why would I not go to Central Catholic and, you know, have a chance to play for the state title every year and, you know, you know, be able to play in front of packed gyms every day. And I think that was something that stood out to me. It was never, you know, 
forced upon me but obviously going to central was you know a great opportunity for me not just you know the school itself but basketball playing for ricky nault and you know the way he prepared us and the career i had there and you know lucky being able to play varsity as a freshman was a, it was a huge experience for me and you know i loved my time at central yeah for sure and i don't think people know you were a three-sport athlete as you came into central catholic yep. your father was a big proponent of multi-sports and not just focusing on one and i don't think people know how talented of a golfer you are um and i know it's something you you will do mm -hmm. for the rest of your life but great golf. but you were also a baseball player at Correct. one point in time and at some point i'm my memory might be a little bit filled again this i don't know if it was after freshman or sophomore year mm -hmm. you gave up baseball how come yeah so it was my sophomore year so basically uh, my freshman year i played baseball but like baseball was in the spring and that's the same time as is aau season so i ran into some problem some problems where you know it was the spring i was playing you know baseball at central but at the same time i was playing babc competitively and you know every weekend we were you know gone friday through sunday playing basketball so I had some situations where it was like I don't know what I want to do my freshman year do I want to go to this AU tournament but I can't you know leave this baseball game this team that I'm committed to so I ended up sticking out with baseball my freshman year and, and missed a little bit of you know freshman AU basketball and then going to my sophomore year I kind of realized it was it had to be one or the other and I think the opportunity to play for BABC which you know George played for it's arguably I think the best AU program in the area um, that was just too good of an opportunity to pass up on. So I just went full ahead with AU and just left baseball behind. Yeah, I mean, it was. I know it was a tough decision for you and yeah. your father. Your father's a big baseball guy too. But um, and you just bring up. So you started out with us, the New England Storm, and yep. you know, you know, I'm always very realistic. At some point in time, uh, the best players for us needed to move on to the Premier Program, and obviously George was our first, mm -hmm. uh, but he wasn't our last. That actually left the Storm and go play for BABC, and you followed that track too. Yep. Um, and you know, my my relationship with Leo and. BABC, um, I think he's the godfather of grassroots hoops. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's a, a great man, and you know, obviously, I enjoy my relationship with him. Um, but also, Leo's a taskmaster. He's tough, um, and he gets the best out of kids, and he obviously gets you great exposure. So you made the decision to go BABC. Talk a little bit about your experience with your few years with BABC. Yeah, so BABC was, you know, a great experience obviously just the from the exposure standpoint everyone that plays AU basketball the end goal is to get recruited and you know whether that be division three division two or division one um, and you know when I went to go play for BABC it was a lot of Boston based kids and a lot of kids that had a lot of recognition and you know were really good players at the time um, and I, we only had a roster of like seven or eight guys mm -hmm. so it was really you know you needed to be there you needed to play you expected a lot from you um, and I remember it was like my sophomore year, we were playing an AAU tournament. And it was, and if I remember correctly, the guys on the floor with me were like Jalen Brantley, who went and played on at Maryland, yeah. Wayne Selden, who went on to Kansas, um, and then Bonzi Colson, who played at Notre Dame. Like, I think everyone on my BABC team from my sophomore all the way until we graduated, I think everyone got a Division One scholarship, maybe besides one or two guys that filled in here or there that, that weren't there the whole time. So. Just from the exposure standpoint, I mean, like you said, Leo's the godfather of AU. I mean, he's been doing it for, 
you know, 30 plus years. So he knows every coach, you know, every coach respects him. So if you play for him and you play hard and and do what he asks for at the end of the day, I think you're going to have an opportunity to play college basketball. So the BABC experience was, you know, perfect for a guy like me. Yeah, and, and they are the standard marker. Um, and obviously, um, you know, Leo, you know, the amount of people he's had, not just get Division mm-hmm. One scholarships because most of them end up, you know, playing Division One. but how many have actually made it to the league? And how many are in the league right now? You know, mm-hmm. just watching Terrence Mann and, yep. you know, obviously George and, and the rest of the crew, just uh, unbelievable experience. So your high school career in the Merrimack Valley was phenomenal. Uh, I got to watch it up front and close. Um, you know, Christmas tournament, league titles, yeah. uh, wonderful home and away games at Andover, which people would line up for hours in advance to try to get in there and watch those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get named uh, Mass Gatorade Player of the Year, um, ESPN Boston Player of the Year. Um, when you look back at it right now, how, how do you actually reflect on your four years at Central Catholic? Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, my four years at Central Catholic were, you know, amazing, not from just the school standpoint, but just from basketball, you know, being number one or number two in the state and, you know, making it all the way to the semifinals just about every year. And then my senior year, making it to the state championship and falling a little bit short. But like you said, just the opportunity to play in front of packed gyms, great competition um, every night and in the recognition of playing at Central. Um, I think that really helped me a lot. I had a great, great relationship with my coach there. I still talk to him, Rick Nault. Um, still my former teammates that I'm close with, Nick Cambio, John Holmesy, sure. Joel Baroa, Doug Gemmel, guys like that. So Central was great to me. I loved every minute of it, and I think it definitely you know, helped me mature as a person, um, not just from a basketball standpoint, but obviously basketball was you know, a gr- great opportunity there, and, and I'm really glad I went there. Yeah, and people don't know this, but Ty also uh, led uh, Central Catholic to three straight fall ball championships in our fall ball league here, and um, no team has repeated uh, after Central's three-year run. So obviously you had a great career. And then we started to talk, and you started to get yourself involved with the college recruitment process. And mm-hmm. and we're going to get into some of the more other things later in terms of, you know, proving people wrong or whatever. But you, so your, your recruitment starts, you're with BABC. Yep. You know, I remember Jacksonville off it. I, I, I remember yep. there was a lot of different schools um, that kind of showed some interest in you. But it's also a real crazy time. And you know, you know, where could you go? Who likes you? Who thinks you have either yeah. the skill or the physicality? Talk to me about, you know, what would that whole that whole college recruitment experience like for you? And and how did you end up at Fairfield University? Yeah, so it's definitely a, an interesting one. So my, yeah, like you said, my first college scholarship was from Jacksonville University down in Florida, and it was actually after like one of our first EYBL. Um, events BABC where I think we were in like Boo Williams down in Virginia mm. and I, I played well we had you know three games down there I you know I probably had 15 to 20 points every game I was shooting the ball well and I had never heard from you know anyone from Jacksonville and then you know Monday after that tournament I got a call from one of the assistant coaches saying hey we talked to your AU coach you know we liked you we saw you down at you know Boo Williams UIBL event you know we want to offer you a scholarship and that was my first Division One scholarship. And after that, after I got that, I was kind of like, wow, like that's that was my end goal was to get a Division One scholarship. And you know, it just happened so quick. And you know, blessed to have that opportunity. But I knew that you know, if I kept working hard, other ones would come. And you know, I did get recruited by a lot of a lot of teams in this area, like you know, like I said, Fairfield, Quinnipiac, um, Bryant, uh, Brown, a couple other Ivy League schools. 
um, Dartmouth, um, Northeastern, uh, BC recruited me hard. So at the end of the day, I probably had about 10 to, you know, 15 Division One scholarships. Um, and, you know, a couple schools, you know, really liked me, but I was really undersized at the time. Sure. You, know, you remember, yeah. I was, I was, didn't look like a Division One basketball player, but, you know, I was playing really well. And I was, I was, you know, pl- putting up good numbers in the EYBL events, and I was shooting the ball really well. So I was getting recruited by teams, but not a lot of high major schools were offering me. Not to say that, you know, I was set in stone on going high major. I didn't know where I was going to end up. I didn't sure. know if I was going to end up, you know, at a Division Two school, a Division One. But once I got my first Division One offer, that's kind of when I realized, like, okay, this is, you know, this is a reality now. This is going to happen. Recruitment's going to pick up. Um, so it was coming down to like the end of my recruitment. And I kind of went on a few visits, and I narrowed my schools down to the final three schools that I was looking at was George Washington, Dartmouth, and Fairfield. And I took official visits on all of those. Um, and ironically enough, um, like during AAU season, I got a call from the Fairfield coach saying, hey, you know, you know, we're recruiting you really hard right now. We're still looking for one more guard, but you know, we think we're going to sign a guy in the next few days. So, you know, if you don't let us know, we're, we're probably going to go in a different direction. Um, so I kind of sat down with my dad and, and my mom and, and said, like, I just got a call from the coach. This is what he said. Like, okay, well, that's, you know, that happens. If you want to go there, you should probably, you know, jump on the opportunity unless you're comfortable going somewhere else. And I had a great visit to George Washington. I like Dartmouth a lot. Ivy League school is a great opportunity. So I didn't really know what I was going to do at the time. So Fairfield was kind of out of the picture for a couple of weeks when I was about to, you know, commit in that August or that end of that AAU season. And I was thinking to myself, like, you know, what's going to happen? And I got a call out of the blue from the assistant coach at Fairfield who originally recruited me, Martin Bahar, who went on from mm-hmm. Fairfield to go to USC. And he, he recruited me the hardest ever since, you know, my sophomore year he was on me. Um, so and he really liked me and I had a great relationship with him. And he said, hey, you know, we sat down as a staff we still think we need one more guard and we really like you. We need a shooter. And I, my visit to Fairfield was great. I loved the school. You know, my, my biggest thing in my recruitment was I wanted to go somewhere where I was wanted, where I think I could play right away as a freshman. I didn't want to go to, you know, whatever the best school was that recruited me on paper just to say, Oh, I'm, I'm going here and then go there and, you know, sit on the bench for four years. That's not what I wanted to do. I really, I really did want to go somewhere where I thought I could play. And I thought that was Fairfield. So once they gave me the call back to say they were still interested, I ended up committing. And, you know, it was it was a great, great four years for me because I went there as a freshman and started and, you know, ended up being the all time leading scorer and had a great relationship with my coach. And, you know, was lucky enough to play four years of, you know, Division one college basketball. So before we get into your amazing career at Fairfield, you you kind of even went light on that. We'll talk about because it was an amazing mm-hmm. career that actually proved a lot of people wrong. As we got to the recruitment process, and, and I had heard it knowing you pretty well, you know, you know, your build wasn't as yeah. strong as, you know, the first question I heard was, you know, could he defend in that league? You know, was he physical enough? That, that league has strong yeah. guards, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, you know, is he kind of outreaching him going to that type of school? Now, you probably had heard this stuff, because I'll be honest with you, you heard that stuff a little bit at Central yeah. Catholic. And a lot of it sometimes is based in jealousy and et cetera, et cetera. But tell me a little bit about that. You had to prove the critics wrong, not on your skill set, which we're going to talk about a lot more later in terms of shooting, but just the physical makeup yeah. of you going that. What was that like for you? Was it tough? Was it emotional? 
Um, definitely. I mean, I was definitely a late bloomer. I didn't look like a, you know, a division one basketball player. I was probably my senior year of high school. I was probably six feet, six one at the most, very skinny, very lanky. wasn't super quick athletic, couldn't jump really, but I always had a knack for the game, I think. Um, and that's something that I think my, you know, college coaches saw in me. And, you know, like I said, I was a late bloomer. So I had to put some time into the weight room, especially when I got to college, but definitely in terms of, you know, people having doubts but I feel like a lot of guys go through that I mean you look at George you look at George Niang I mean would you think anyone would see that guy being you know an NBA body yeah, when he no. wasn't coming out of high school or when he wasn't even in college but if you find someone that believes in you and you know they know you can play basketball I think that's the biggest thing but you know every time I step on the court I'm still you're probably one of the le least athletic guys out there but mm -hmm. you know because of my IQ and I know how to play the game it, it kind of makes up for it but Obviously, yeah, when I was coming out of high school, a lot of people were like, oh, there's no way he can play Division One basketball. He doesn't have the body. But I never really paid too much attention to it because I knew how good I was. Like, I had a lot of confidence in myself. And, you know, my senior year at, at Central, you know, when I was Gatorade Player of the Year and Mr. Basketball, I was putting up the numbers. So that mm -hmm. kind of backed it up. And, you know, I did well in AAU. So, like, I was always holding my own. It was never like I was getting these opportunities for whatever reason and, uh, you know, I wasn't producing. So... That never really crossed my mind in terms of like, wow, do I belong at this Division One level? I always knew deep down that I did, but you know, from outside looking in, I could see why other people's people had doubt because you know, like we we said earlier, there's that big eye test thing that you know some guys don't pass and some guys do. Um, but at the end of the day, if you can if you can play basketball, you can play basketball. Yeah, and from my vantage point, you always seem like you handled it real well. But mm -hmm. I didn't live with you, so tell me, over at the Nelson household, mm -hmm. did it did it get you down when people were questioning whether you could do stuff, or did that motivate you more? Um, I'm a super super competitive guy, so it definitely motivated me. But I've always kind of, especially in high school, I was always a little like quiet, introverted, and stuff like that. But I was, like I said, I was very confident, so it did weigh on me a little bit, but I thought of it as more of like, you know, an, a chip on your shoulder than more to a like, wow, like, you know, people don't believe in me. I was never really worried about what people said. I was such a competitor that, you know, my mentality was, I'm just going to prove everyone wrong. And that's kind of what I put that chip on my shoulder and did. Absolutely. Now let's get into the Fairfield career. Obviously, you had a phenomenal career. Fairfield's all-time leading scorer uh, uh, on the All-Decade team, all the All-2000 team, considered one of the greatest players to ever play for Fairfield. Uh, you came in, like you said, you started at first, but it was kind of up and down. The team struggled a little bit in yep. your early years, if I uh, recollect correctly. Yep. Um, tell me a little bit about your four years. I mean, you got to play in Cameron, into mm -hmm. a center. Actually, Coach K had a plan on how he was going to defend you, and, you know, you got some great experience. Talk about that four-year experience down in Connecticut. Yeah, so w when I arrived on campus at Fairfield, um, like I said, the, the main reason I went there is because I thought I could play as a freshman right away. And obviously, you know, at the college level, there's there's no favors. You're going to have to earn every time you step on the court. You're going to have to earn it. And, you know, you could play 20 minutes one game. You could get a DNP the next. Like, that's just college basketball. Um, things are always changing. But when I got to Fairfield, um, I didn't – it's a funny story. My Our first game was against Central Connecticut in like the Connecticut Classic. So it sure. was all the Con Division One Connecticut schools, UConn, Yale, Fairfield, uh, Hartford, uh, Central Connecticut, and I think one more, if I remember correctly. Um, we had a tournament, and I had played really well preseason. I was shooting the ball well. I was, you know, I thought I was going to be in the lineup. I didn't think I was going to start, but I thought I'd be in the lineup. 
and we ended up playing Central Connecticut, and we had won by like five or six. They weren't very good, and you know we found a way to win. But I didn't play, and I could. I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, like I can't believe I didn't play. Like, what was going on? And I talked to my assistant coach at the time, who I had a really good relationship with, and he said, you know, coach just doesn't trust you defensively right now. And I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, like I'm shooting the ball well, I'm playing well. I think I'm playing better than you know the senior that was starting over me. But I understood, like, you know, he was going to get, you know the benefit of the doubt but going into that next week of practice and playing really well our next game was a couple days later we played at um at duke and that was a team that won the national championship with tyus sure. jones and all them and i had gotten in like late in the first half and scored a couple buckets and probably played like you know 12 minutes had five points and that was when i got my feet wet in college basketball and then we came home and we had a game and i had a great week of practice i was playing well i was much better defensively i was that was my biggest thing was can I keep guys in front of me defensively? Like, is, am I going to be a liability out there on the court? And my, my coach saw that, you know, I need to work on that. So I really got better at it that week in practice. I focused on defense. And then the next game we had a home game. I think we played like Sam Houston State, like a random random game um, non-conference beginning of the year. And I subbed in with maybe five minutes left in the first half. We were down. We we we. My freshman year, we were not good. We were seven and twenty-four. Like we couldn't shoot. We had a, you know a bunch of transfers and, and guys that you know really weren't doing well enough to win games at, in that conference. And it's a it's a great conference, the, the MAC. Um, so I came in with like five minutes left, and I hit like three threes in a row to end the first half. Started the second half, we won the game, and I finished with like sixteen points or something like that. So I was like, all right, like now I'm comfortable. Next game, I didn't even know before the game started. My coach was like writing on the whiteboard and he was like you're starting tonight that was one of our next games like two days later I started and had like 26 points and was like you know eight for 11 from the field and had like a great game and then ever since then I started and you know played probably the second most minutes on the team behind the senior captain and then from there it was just smooth sailing had a really good freshman year average like almost 12 points started every other game um yeah and then just took off from there yeah and you know each year you got better and stronger yep. and um, you know, physically, and, and I watched a number of your games. And, and again, I, I'd be a liar if I said that I was one of those people like, oh, he can defend in that. I mean, I questioned it. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, just knowing that league and those guards, I said, you know, and obviously I would root for you any day of the week, but I was like, that could be a question. What I saw from you was a drive to get better defensively. Yeah. And a lot of that drive came about getting physically bigger and stronger, mm -hmm. which I think, you know, you, you light, late bloomer, that's an understatement, right? Yeah. If people saw you now compared to when they saw you when you left the field for you're a different, physically different person. And and that's the same I always say about George, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and he's my son, but, you know, when George left Iowa State, it was yeah. not a great-looking body. And, um, you know, obviously, as you see him play for the Jazz now, the body is much better than it's ever been. So you continued to have in, in the confidence and the trust, and then you became – uh, you know, everybody on campus was, you know, ties the guy that's going to, you know, help yeah. us win games or whatever. And, you know, I, I saw you wind down your season. Uh, one of my favorite memories will be you and Sidney Johnson embracing after your last game. Obviously, talk to me a little bit about your relationship with your coach over the years. Yeah, so we, we, we have a great relationship still to this day. Um, you know, he played at Princeton. You know, he coached at uh, Princeton. And then, you know, he coached at Georgetown with John Thompson. So he had a great coaching background and, you know, he was really hard on me because I think he knew right away, like after my freshman year, when he saw the year I had, he knew that, you know, I could be a really good player in this league and, you know, I could do some special things. So he was really hard on me. And like I said, I was a captain as a sophomore 
And my sophomore year, I had a, a lot of ups and downs. I remember we started the season my sophomore year. Um, and in the first few games, I was playing bad. Like I was shooting like, you know, 28% from three. I wasn't shooting the ball well. And I remember I went in and had a meeting with him. And he said, listen, like, if you want to take the next step, you know, you're going to have to your teams know who you are now. You're not just going to be able to stand in the corner now and get open threes and pump fake and take one dribble and, and get open shots. Teams are going to take it away from you. You're going to have to be able to put the ball on the floor. You're going to have to get better. And, you know, he really challenged me to get better every every day we were in the gym, and he was really hard on me. And I think I've, through my through my life, through my dad being really hard on me when I was younger and then in high school having Rick Nault, who was, you know, a tough-minded yeah. coach and was and expected a lot and was really hard on me. And then Leo, you know, he expects, you know, his players to, you know, really play well and really play hard. Uh, and he, he, he's not afraid to tell you if you're, if you're not doing that. And then going to college, it was the same thing. So I think I kind of, I like that when people challenge me, especially in terms of my coaches and stuff like that. Um, so, and like I said, I'm really competitive. So I got a lot better and I ended up finishing my sophomore year. We had a great year. We, we won almost 20 games that year. Um, I finished averaging like 18 points a game. I was, you know, second team all conference, the only sophomore to do that. Had a great year. We went on to play in the NIT, I believe. We played, um, I think it was uh, Columbia. Um, but yeah, I had a great year. And then ever, ever since there, my relationship with my coach just kept growing. And junior year was the same thing. I was, you know, first team all, all conference, could have been, you know, player of the year and had a really, really great year. We didn't win as many games, but, you know, personally, I, I did really well. And my coaches, you know, again, expected a lot from me. And then senior year was, you know, I was the guy that had the, the, the target on my back. Everyone in the league knew who I was. You know, I was a leading scorer from the year before, stuff like that. But my college coach was, you know, was great to me because he gave me the freedom to, you know, do what I want. And as a basketball player, you know, if you can play with freedom at any level, you know, your coach trusts you to, you Absolutely. know, take pretty much give you the green light to take any shot. It's it's you play as a different player and I think I really really benefited from that where I could pretty much go out there and play my game and as long as I was I was playing hard and you know playing the team basketball I think you know he gave me the freedom to be able to you know develop my game and, and have the career I did right so before we get into your post Fairfield career I want to talk to you about so I think of all the kids that I've been around basketball and as you know I've been around thousands of kids basketball wise I honestly believe you and George are the two highest basketball IQ kids I have ever been around. It's phenomenal. It's, it's a skill that I don't think people give enough credit for. Um, and you both have excelled with that. Uh, but besides that, you have a legit skill, an elite skill. Uh, your father and I talk about this on a regular basis. We go to high school games together, and yep. I think we shake our heads every day when I when I look at shooting <laughs> percentages and shooting form and and blah blah blah. And you know, I and then I go to AAU games where guys scream on the sidelines, "Go get yours! Go get yours!" Where you know you you know they're trying to barrel through the you know the, to get to the rack or whatever. And the reality is that's all well and good at one point, but you got to be able to shoot the ball. Talk to me about a little bit about your elite skill set of being a shooter. How does that happen? What's your advice to young kids about shooting in general? Because my opinion always has been, mm -hmm. if you can shoot the ball, they got to play you. 100%. And that's, you know, I've always been a shooter since I was younger. You know, having my dad as, you know, my dad and as a coach, you know, shooting was what I did. It was my skill set, like you said. So I've always had a great shot. And I've used my shot in my career to, you know, really develop the other aspects of my game. You know, whether that be, you know, putting the ball on the floor, getting to mid-ranges, using pick and rolls, because 
I was really more of a, a two guard throughout high school and then right. going into college. But as my career went on, I kind of was more of a playmaker. And because I could shoot the ball so well, defenses were so you know focused on me that I used that to my advantage to draw fouls, uh, to get the free throw line, to make plays for other guys. But in terms of shooting, I've always been. It's always been a confidence thing for me. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. I think there's no really right or wrong way in, of shooting mechanics. There's a lot of people that say, "Oh, you, you got to do this," and if you want to make shots, I think it's just confidence, honestly. And I've always been a confident kid and a confident player. And I've put the reps in. I've gotten a lot of shots up over the years, and I think that's paid off. But the number one thing is, is, is I personally think is just confidence. If you have the confidence to think that every shot's going in compared to, you know, you don't know what's going to happen when the ball leaves your hand. I think that's just a, diff a different game. Yeah. I mean, I saw that up front when you used to work out with us at BST. You'd be in the gym. And whether it's a shooting drill or when we went five on five, I mean, the fact of the matter is you thought every ball was going to go in. Mm -hmm. um, and quite frankly, it went in most of the time. But that confidence that you talk about is I don't think a lot of kids have. I mean, the reality is I don't think kids put the time in like mm -hmm. you did. Let, let's be honest. You know, you taking 200 shots a day was a small amount. I'm sure there were days you took 1,000 shots. There yeah. was days that you worked. And again, I could see your father probably at Cedardale or at house, you know, working yep. even on the mechanics. So obviously, in my opinion, that elite skill set then takes you after Fairfield in terms of, you know, wanting to get to the league. And obviously, like my man George's, your goal was to get to the league. Mm -hmm. um, you started to go through a number of what I would call the NBA pre-draft workouts. Yeah. Um, I know you, a lot of teams had you in. Talk to us a little about that experience where you had to start over again proving yourself. Yeah. You had just become Fairfield's all-time leading scorer. You know, everybody in the Merrimack Valley knows how great you are. But now the rest of the world has to see you if you want to get paid. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so once I finished up Fairfield and I knew that, you know, there was an opportunity to me play professional basketball, whether it be here in, in you know, the G League slash NBA or whether it be overseas. Um, the big thing coming out of, you know, as a senior is there's a thing called the Portsmouth Invitational, which is, I believe, the top 40 seniors in the class get invited to, a, you know, a combine showcase. You go there, play two, three games um, in front of, you know, international scouts. Every NBA team is there, head coaches. And I got, I had gotten invited to it, and that was yeah, it was huge for me because I think you know I was one of those guys coming from a mid-major school that not a lot of people knew about that I had to go prove that I could play against you know all these high-major guys, and you know everyone else that was there was a high-major player, maybe besides one or two kids that was from another you know another mid-major, but I was the only guy from my conference um, to to be invited to that, and I went there and I played really really well. I was fortunate to get on a, a good team with some good players. Um, and I played well. I think the first game there, I had like 18 points. The second game had like 15. And then the third game, um, I ended up hitting a game-winning shot at the end of the buzzer. Um, so, I, like I said, I played in front of, you know, scouts from all over the world. I played really, really well. And that kind of opened things up for me where it was like now teams had seen me live. They knew my style. They knew how I was going to play. And I ended up getting, you know, six NBA draft workouts um, with the Celtics, Lakers, Wizards. Um, a couple other teams and you know it was a great experience for me to be able to go in and you know play against other guys and you know kind of make a name for myself and I ended up playing getting invited to go play summer league with the Minnesota Timberwolves from there um, that was a great experience and then after that I kind of sat down with my agent and we talked and we said what do you want to do do you want to you know do the G League route see if you know you can get signed by an NBA team you know go to training camp with them and then you know may never know maybe you make the team maybe you don't and you get you know allocated to their g league team 
or do you know you don't want to sign somewhere overseas and you know I think I, I had some really great offers to go play European basketball because that style really fits me you know shooting spreading the floor sure. but I wanted to do the G League route first because you never know what could happen you could go you know someone could I mean look at Duncan Robinson you know small okay went to Michigan you know didn't have a huge name for himself but Miami fell in love with him they gave him the opportunity and he ran with it and you right. know look at him now and no one would have thought that and I mean same thing with George even though he was drafted but sure. I mean it's all about I think look, everyone at that level of pro basketball like everyone in the G League I honestly think can play in the NBA given the opportunity in the right situation like that is the talent in that league is ridiculous like that is NBA talent but it's all about you know getting an opportunity to prove yourself and having a team you know really like you and, and, and give you the chance like I said so yeah I mean the I decided to go the G League route and you know that's why I've been the last year and a half so these last year and a half you've been grinding in the G League and uh, you know for people who don't know it's not NBA salaries you mm -hmm. got to grind at the you know traveling and things like that I mean you would the swarm uh, and then you know prior to pre-pandemic um, you would actually kind of moved on from there tell me you know just real quick like well what's what's it like with the grind with the G League where you are trying to prove yourself yeah so it's uh it's I think it's way more of a mental grind than it is a physical I mean obviously you got to work hard physically like in anything you do especially professional basketball but the mental grind of the G League like you said it's you know you're not living that NBA luxury life you're not traveling you know on private planes you're not staying in five-star hotels you're not getting meals you're not getting you know the big salary but you know you're playing professional basketball at a level you're getting taken care of um, and it's it's a grind mentally because anything can change day to day in terms of those rosters like for the people that aren't familiar with like the G League how it works is guys get sent up and down from NBA teams so you could you could really honestly have a, a different roster a different starting five sure. every night there's a lot of trades that go on guys move in and out um, get signed by teams so you know there was games where beginning of my career at in, in Greensboro where I was you know six man and started a couple games and was playing a lot and then you know, for whatever reason, the Hornets had sent guys down that were guards, um, like, you know, uh, Graham from uh, Hornets and um, Dwayne Bacon came down, and there were two, you know, a point guard and a wing, so that kind of took away my minutes. So my first year, that, like, mentally, that affected me a lot because, like, I was like, I deserve to be playing because, like, when I got my shot, shot at the beginning of the year, I was playing well, I was making shots, I was doing things. Like, it wasn't like I was laying an egg when I was going out there, but the mental grind of, like, this is a business – these guys are, you know, draft picks from the Hornets. They're going to come down and take 30 shots a game, and you're going to sit on the bench because that's just the way it is. Right. So the mental grind of that really took a toll on me. But, you know, going into my second year, I kind of knew that. But it's definitely, it's definitely frustrating. But it's professional basketball. You got you're, you're, you're there to do a job. It's not, you know, it's not going to be fair for everyone. But it's definitely, it's definitely a grind and something that I love to do. So then we get hit with this global pandemic, COVID-19 yeah. headset. It kind of screws up everybody's plans, right? So for you, um, it's kind of put basketball on hold a little bit as, you know, obviously the NBA is back in the bubble format. But in terms of the G League being canceled the rest of the year, you've now taken on a, you know, a discussion of you know, maybe, maybe taking your talents overseas. We, we talked a little bit on offline. So what does the next chapter look like for you basketball-wise? Yeah, so it's definitely been a – you know, a summer of a lot of uncertainty because of the pandemic, you know, the G League season would, you know, originally start up in you know middle of October. So in about next month, uh, would, when the G League would start, you know, normally would go back into, you know, 
practices and getting ready for November games. But with the pandemic and, you know, usually the G League starts a little bit after the NBA season because how it works is the guys that get cut from the, you know, the final rosters of the NBA teams get sent down to the G League. Um, so it's everything's up in the air. They haven't announced when the season's going to start. Um, and then obviously in terms of European professional basketball, a lot of those leagues are, you know, struggling because of the pandemic. Um, sure. And there's a lot of countries right now that aren't taking American guys right. because of the pandemic. So um, like we talked a little bit, you know, off mic is – teams over there that you know would sign you know four americans to a team this year because of whether it be financial reasons or because of covid now maybe they're signing one or two so it's just that it's just that much harder and a lot of leagues are getting pushed back like they would be starting right about now would be when they were starting games but i think the only country right now that's actually playing games with fans is like poland which Mm. is you know not a very high level of european basketball it's still a good level but the team the countries like you know germany spain france Italy, those countries are kind of on hold right now because they're trying to figure out, you know, when they can have fans back because that's how they make their money over there is through the fans. They don't have the, you know, the crazy TV deals like the NBA and stuff like that. But everything's kind of on hold. But I've been working with my agent to, you know, talk to some teams over there and hopefully something comes through soon. And I think that's probably where I'll end up is somewhere in in Europe playing basketball this year compared to the G League. But uh, honestly, you never know in this world right now. Yeah. So what's your mindset as you head over to, you know, you're still got some unfinished business the way I read it with you. Uh, What are you hoping by, you know, if you were to get over and play in Germany or Spain or whatever, what would you be hoping in terms of your long-term aspect with basketball? Is this what maybe gets you back over to the States or is it more like uh, give you a great experience of playing overseas yeah I think it's I think it's both I mean I'm at the point in my life right now where you know put a year and a half of professional basketball post-college where I'm healthy I love the game you know as long as I can get paid to you know play basketball I don't see a reason why to stop and you know I I'm competitive I love it and at the end of the day the end goal is the NBA Um, and there's a lot of there's everyone's path is different you never know I mean you look at you know a guy like Brad Wanamaker on the Celtics who you know, came out of pit, played like eight to 10 years over in Europe, and then, you know, got signed as a 28-year-old rookie right. uh, for the Celtics. So, and then Matt Thomas, another guy yeah, like... my guy, Matt. Yeah, another guy that played with Georgia at Iowa State, who, you know, came out of college, went to Spain, had an unbelievable first year in Spain, and then, you know, signed a three, four-year deal with Toronto after that. So, there's different ways to make it to the league. Um, I'm not saying, you know, I think that that's going to happen. Obviously, that's my goal, but you know, you can make a lot of money playing professional basketball in Europe. And, you know, that's something that I'm hoping to do. And whether that be, like I said, in Europe or, you know, staying here and, and playing the G League again. But, you know, I, I think I do definitely have a lot of basketball left in me. Definitely. And you, you mentioned it really. So I go back to this whole skill set. And, I, I, and I've, I've watched Matt Thomas play up close. Obviously, my trips out to Iowa State, yep. him being one of George's best friends. I've seen Matt. Duncan's actually been to this gym many times shooting. Yep. And, you know, his story is amazing. And, you know, your shooting's in that same category. And it's almost, it's almost about chances, right? So Matt, Matt had a terrific uh, year over in Spain, like you said. And, and he gets a great deal with a team that actually could use a guy like him, right? And, mm-hmm. You know, he hasn't had the, the major production in this series with the Celtics, but I know Matt, Matt can shoot. Yep. And then Duncan, to me, it's one of the most impressive stories I have ever witnessed in my entire life where 
and he's just legit, you know. And I remember him as the, the you know, the kid from New Hampshire, the kid who went to Governors, to Phillips yep. Exeter, played for the Middlesex Magic and Mike Crotty, and, you know, the rest is history. So, you know, I'm just hoping you get that chance to show, and, you know, maybe you do get back and mm -hmm. get that, that group with that. So let me talk about a couple other things. I've been pressured to kind of ask you about this here, but one of your best friends, um, my guy Max Burt, um, who's uh, <laughs> excelling in his own career. Uh, he's in the, uh, the New York Yankees system, and I'm hoping some days he gets to wear the pinstripe there. One of your best friends, and he also not a bad little basketball player, although yeah. baseball was his thing. I've been uh, asked to, uh, what were those wars like playing one-on-one -on -one <laughs> or just playing anything with, with Max Burt? What was all that like? Yeah, that was uh, funny. We've been, you know, through our dads, we've built a relationship ever since like sixth grade, you know, just playing travel basketball against each other, baseball, I mean, you name it. So we had a great relationship and we were really competitive when we were in middle school and stuff like that, you know, be, whether it be playing one-on-one -on -one in the front yard or, you know, tackle football in the backyard, you know, obviously like you've seen with Mike and George right. you know, when they were younger, just playing every sport and just being super competitive with each other. But yeah, me and Max are, you know, best friends have a great relationship he took the baseball route went to northeastern and, and played high school at st john's prep and you know got drafted by the yankees but you know we we, re, we relate on a lot of levels because you know he's in that same minor league grind in baseball you know he's not making a lot of money he's grinding it out every day for an opportunity you know people doubted him the same way people doubted me um so we like i said we relate in a lot of ways and you know i'm hoping you know some good happens for him in baseball and he gets a shot so yeah he's a terrific kid and i i would not bet against him he could be uh, he could be on that infield in new york pretty soon um i did see that video on twitter yesterday where one of you commented <laughs> about your one-on-ones it was actually pretty hysterical i could actually visualize you guys pushing and shoving yeah. and yelling at each other and you're right it reminds me of the years that george and michael in my backyard just kind of did for that sure. stuff every day all right let's take this to um the, bas the basketball career eventually will end at some point, whether mm -hmm. it's age or whatever. What's the next chapter look like for Ty Nelson? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I've obviously I've thought about it a little bit, but at the same time, I'm, I'm still at the point where I'm 100% in on basketball right now. So, you know, I try not to think about it too much, but I think just, you know, naturally as a person, you know, you always are thinking about your future and, and what comes next. Um, but you know, there's a lot of different things that I could do. I've thought about getting into coaching. I'm not like one of those guys where it's like, oh, I'm definitely getting into coaching when my playing days are over. I really don't know. You know, I'm fascinated by a lot of different things. You know, I studied business at Fairfield. Um, so I could see myself, you know, kind of working in the corporate world in some in some form, um, whether that be down the road or in whatever, you know, situation that is. But like I said, right now, I'm 100% basketball, you know signing a contract and whether like whether it be playing the G League or overseas and then and, you know going from there so that's kind of where I'm at yeah Ty I think you know this is your number one thing try to ride this basketball thing as much as you can and I'm sure you'll be successful in whatever you do you come from a line a line of teachers right your father's yeah. a retired teacher your mother's a teacher your sister's doing an amazing job from what I'm hearing over in Tewksbury she's yep. a teacher um, I wouldn't pass seeing you in a classroom and coaching I, I somehow do see coaching in the future with you you got a great temperament you're a real good teacher of the game yourself with that IQ and I'm sure whatever you do, you'll be real successful. So um, I want to give you the final word. And the final word goes on what my focus was between, 
you know, proven people wrong. Um, you know, those kids that may not pass the eye candy test right now. And I see those kids every single day, yep. you know, in the Merrimack Valley where people are like, oh, he's too fat or he's too slow or he's not athletic. Um, along with, so it's kind of like a Tupac question. I want you to talk a little bit about that not passing the eye candy test one more time. Give a little advice to the kids. But also, I want to focus on your elite skill set. And yeah. what message would you give to kids about that elite skill set of shooting? Yeah, so in terms of the, the first question, kind of, you know, being not passing the eye test of a professional basketball player or, or you know, even some people saying at the Division One level. But like I said, I've always been super, super competitive. And, you know, no matter what you do in life as a young kid, I think if you really have a goal and you really want to achieve something, the, the only way to do that is to just put your head down and work and, you know, not worry about what other people say. At the end of the day, you know, anyone else's opinion of you, uh, whether it be good or bad, doesn't really mean anything. I mean, I've had a lot of people in my life think very, very highly of me, and then I've had people that, you know, really doubted me. So I just use both as motivation. I think that no matter what you do in life, if you work hard and, you know, you put the work in and you're a good person, at the end of the day, I think good things happen to good people. So that's the best advice I, I could give on that. Nice. And then in terms of, a, uh, you know, basketball having an elite skill set, you know, that's that's been my knack. You know, that's kind of why I've, you know, been lucky enough to play professional basketball and division one basketball is because I've always been known as a shooter. Um, and I think that's the most important skill set. I mean, you look at NBA basketball today, what's the most valued thing on the court is shooting the way the game is played. And I think that's not changing in years to come. So for all the young kids out there, you know, that are, you know, want to play basketball at the highest level possible, I'd say, you know, don't get caught up in the you know, the mixtapes or the flashiness, just be able to put the ball in the basket and make shots and, you know, be a good teammate, work hard. And I think if you develop, like you, you kind of say, an elite skill set um, in anything you do, I think that can, you know, help propel you forward. Absolutely. And, you know, this is a youth-centered podcast. Most of our listeners are usually affiliated somewhat with the youth center and all the topics we do. We're going to actually be sharing this to our, you know, the famous Fennis Bem Fennis Dembo 87 yep. Twitter site. Um, when we announced this yesterday that we were going to be doing this, uh, I got a ton of people, you know, liking it in the basketball world. And uh, Mitch Wanagaro, one of your coaches at, at yes. Fairfield, um, he liked it because obviously he wants it. And I don't know if Mitch probably doesn't remember me, but my first experience with t was taking George to Siena when Mitch was the head oh, coach yeah. at Siena. Uh, and we had a great visit up at, at Siena, unofficial visit when George was like a sophomore. Yes. And uh, Mitch was a terrific guy and his coaching staff was great showing us around or whatever. And it's interesting, comes full circle he ends up becoming a major part of your yes. coaching staff and I know you were really close morning breakfast workouts yep. I think if I remember correctly so uh, we'll make sure Mitch gets this too so he can listen to one <laughs> of his favorite players all time but uh, I want to thank you for coming in Ty this was great uh, this is something I want to share with everybody I want my youngins to to really take a look at this because you are a role model and a mentor to the kids in our area you know at BST we have a we have a Tyler Nelson drill which is you know your your uncanny any knack for you know shot faking and then you know slide dribble to an open spot to, to knock stuff down and uh you know obviously you know what i think of it we love you here and uh wish you nothing but the best of luck uh and uh let's let's prove let's continue to prove these people wrong yes definitely i'm uh happy to be here thanks to rick for you know giving me this opportunity to come and you know kind of tell my story and talk hoops in life 
um, the youth center and, you know, it was a great place. And, you know, I think kids should take advantage of this and this opportunity. I was here when I was, I wasn't even in from North Andover, but I've spent some time in the youth center when I was younger. So um, again, just thanks for having me and, you know, hope everyone's doing well and staying safe. All right. Thanks, Ty. And as we finish every podcast, we always say too much passion is never enough passion. Mm-hmm.